You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker, Maurit Siebert, and I, Niels Kastralasen, are excited to be back with you on this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where we're going to discuss and debate last week's events in the world of rule-based investing and uh, take some of your questions. So um, good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Moritz. How are you guys? Hello, Niels. Doing fine. Good Good morning. That's fantastic to hear. Well, it's been... I guess another interesting week, not so much because it felt panicky or, you know, super volatile, although I do think that when you look at the individual markets, there was a decent level of uh, volatility, uh, but this time perhaps with a little bit more direction uh, in the overall trend. Certainly when I look uh, at our portfolio, you know, commodities tended to behave reasonable uh, with the exception of of energies, perhaps. Um and then stocks, uh, fixed income, uh, currencies, um, you know, did okay. Nothing spectacular, but, you know, behaves behaved much better than the first week uh, or the first couple of days of uh, November. So why don't we dive into that a little bit and um, maybe I can start with you this week, Jerry, just sort of what was going on from your perspective. Maybe it was more in the single stocks than it was in the other markets or so whatever you noticed uh, happening uh, would be would be interesting to hear. Thanks, Niels. Uh, you know, the weakness in commodities uh, pretty much continues. Um, <clears throat> crude and heating oil unleaded are, sh- are joining their brethren and not going up anymore, maybe uh, going lower. And natural gas was the part of the energy complex that's not really correlated, in my opinion, to the energy complex. So that's nice to see a rewarding uh, holding on to that position that kind of made highs a month ago, maybe. And then we held on and it kind of skyrocketed. A lot of people probably piling in, wanting to get long a market that's been in the doldrums for such a long time. Yeah, dollar strength, good to see that. Um, hopefully that continues. Weakness in the metals, and uh, so some uh, the tr- more of the traditional single names that I follow: the liquid single names, uh, Starbucks, Coke, McDonald's, Walmart, setting kind of new highs and breaking out to the upside where. The indices were probably dominated more by the tech and, and, mar- and other stocks that were not going up. So kind of an interesting week. It's fun to look inside the S&P 500 and see what's going on in this rotation and catch those trends and hopefully they'll continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, certainly on the energy side, um, I mean, net gets uh, made up for all of the small losses we saw in, in, in the other markets as you know, the prevailing trend for us at least has been still up, uh, yet we've had this, you know, ferocious correction uh, really in the last few weeks. And with OPEC, uh, at least on a low level, minister level uh, meeting this weekend, it'll be interesting to see what what they're going to do about uh, oil output and, and see what uh, trends might emerge uh, from that. And speaking about Starbucks, by the way, I want to mention and thank one of our listeners, Brian, who completely without having to do this, um, send a very nice gift card by email, which I've never received before, for for Starbucks, which was uh, highly appreciated, of course. Uh, so uh, a nice surprise. And thank you, Brian. Um, yeah, what about you, Moritz? Uh, what, what did you see on your side uh, in, in your portfolio? It's been an interesting week. Not that much in terms of P&L. And I think we've been probably making or losing money in, in the same type of markets, uh, you know, WTI down, natural gas was covering that to a certain extent. But the the most interesting thing that happened on my side was um, a mix of the allocations. So it's the, the portfolio is now pretty much equally long and short, um, about the same number of short positions as as long positions. Whereas in in October, even in 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 the later parts of October, that that was still different with the long positions dominating. So it's, um, for instance, when I look at the equities, the equities now have a have a net short exposure across across the sector, and um, as as luck would have it, that has cost a bit of money in the past couple of days when uh, when equities recovered a bit. But you know, we'll, we'll see what comes next. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's very interesting. I mean, uh, and, and again, this divergence between Europe and, and the US in the, the equity space is, is also quite interesting to follow. And, and actually, divergence between both in the fixed income markets and the, the, uh, the equity markets have been incredibly high compared to what we've seen uh, in, in recent years. Um, so there's a big, uh, there's a little bit of a battle uh, going on there. I was just looking at my own uh, trend barometer as of um, uh, this morning, and it's completely neutral. You know, it's a level of forty-five, mm -hmm. so nothing going on there. But you're right, and but but actually, in in that particular uh, portfolio of markets, um, most of the trend, most of the markets that are trending, which is uh, you know about half of them, so about 20, 20, 20 22 markets, it's mostly to the downside, uh, which is uh, which is interesting. And um, this whole, I don't know if you, I mean, obviously we've had midterm elections, which didn't do much for the markets, I imagine, you know, not that I noticed. Um, and, but there is obviously this ongoing tension between the US and China when it comes to uh, to the trade war. So, um, and it is, seems to me that it is affecting the, the commodity space. Um, another thing that I actually thought was interesting, I just heard on an in interview this week, um, uh, which I wasn't aware of, was that uh, apparently in 2021, it's the 100th uh, anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. So a lot of people, or at least according to this guy, feel that what they're doing right now is, you know, slowly letting the economy slow down, uh, you know, deliberately in these, you know, in these years, which would tie in with the weakness in commodities, of course, uh, as they have been a big uh buyer of those and then only to ramp it all up uh, once we get closer to their anniversary. So hopefully that can produce some interesting uh, trends as well. Anything else that kind of um, caught your eyes uh, as as such uh, when we look at, at the markets at least? I just wanted to comment on <clears throat> something that Moritz said, which uh, it's just, just important to keep emphasizing that uh, we talk about currencies, commodities, uh, interest rates and stocks in the diversification, but then the shorts are just so important. Uh, these markets have a tendency to be, the longs have a tendency to be correlated with each other, regardless mm. of the sector, and the shorts are correlated. So it's nice to come in with balance or close to balance. Of course, we're subject to the trend, and um, it's definitely possible for me to be all long or all short. I don't think it's ever happened, but I'm going to just <laughs> follow the trends. Uh, but it is fortunate. I don't think it works to go out and try to find more longs and, and preempt the system to let's uh, <clears throat> use some discretion to get longer quicker if we could. Uh, but I do think it's nice that uh, we end up having uh, longs and shorts and it really just ratchets, ratchets down the risk on a daily basis because um, you know we, we talked last week about how one of those days the week before, right. everything was down. <laughs> so yeah. It's good to have some shorts. I agree sure. with that. You know, the, the long positions in the equities, that was the key driver of, uh, of the losses in October. You know, and, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, I've been, you know, 70 to 80% long in those markets. And, uh, and that has, uh, that has been problematic. That has not changed. I'm happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, Okay, well, um, why don't we just jump straight to some of the uh, tweets that you've been uh, sending out, Jerry, and had some uh, reactions to, um, and um, and let's start with that. See what what the world of social has to say this week. Great. So one of the uh, themes that continues to be popular, of course, for my uh, Twitter followers and for me, and probably all of us, is. Um, Ignoring, let's all just ignore short-term performance, please. And uh, what is short-term performance? And it's longer term than we would want it to be or imagine. Of course, after a period of bad performance, we, I guess, we do kind of appreciate uh, that it, that uh, maybe even a ten-year look back might not be enough to sort of call a strategy dead and not working any longer. And the Wall Street Journal put out an article this week that uh, sort of hit on that, that, um, uh, quote, statistical noise, luck, in other words, is always the first possibility to consider, especially when a compelling model says the expected premium is positive. 
our tests don't rule out other explanations, but they do say bad luck is a likely possibility. And it kind of goes on to say even three, five, or 10 years might not be a long enough period to uh, turn your back on a, a model that has worked for a much longer period. So that's mm. kind of nice and helpful. And we want this to be true. Uh, another tweet uh, sort of goes with that. It was Cliff Asnes this week, um, an article about a previous um, study that they had done where he sort of says, I'm just hoping that the clients can hang in there. Yeah. And it is true that we need to be disciplined as traders and we need our clients to exercise some discipline and own enough of our funds, but not too much to where it's going to um, tempt them to bail at the wrong time. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's this ongoing challenge that I think we all face. Um, and I think one of the things that is, um, I mean, we often talk in our industry about, you know, the benefits of trend following, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we can put up all these studies of what happens when you mix a 60-40 portfolio with 20% trend following, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's been the pitch for a long time. But one of the one of the things that I do think people don't talk enough about is exactly what you're pointing out, and that is time horizon. Um, you know, we, 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 I think it was, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, that something like that 99% of Warren Buffett's wealth has been made after he turned 50. <laughs> So, so I mean, so he did well, obviously, for many, many years. But in terms of the magnitude, the real impact of what he has achieved, you know, comes later because of this compound effect you you get when you uh, when you stay with something that that doesn't work all the time. I mean, he, he's had his fifty percent drawdowns along the way, um, but it certainly worked well for him uh, in the very long run. And and but it is in a world where everything becomes instant, um, it's very hard sometimes to keep the focus on on being super long-term. Um, so, absolutely. What else did you uh, see reactions to in, in, in the Twitter world? Well, certainly one of my favorite topics that I kind of almost refuse to quit talking about mm -hmm. is, um, you know, how, how do these systems work? How does trend following work? Um, systematic trading, maybe, but definitely trend following. It, uh, one of the, key tenets is the doing a back test and looking at the sample size and of the back test and number of trades and needing to requiring yourself to include uh, longs and shorts as if it was just one type of trade, trading all the markets the same way. And uh, so to build up this sample size using the same, you use the same methods and the same parameters. So, and at the end of the day, you look at all of the trades, the thousands of trades that have from from the past, and you're but you must conclude that uh, you're going forward. The average profit and loss and expectation is going to be the sum total of all of those trades. So, in other words, all the trades make the same amount of money. Mm. That's your best guess going forward. Of course, it's not exactly true historically, but as we approach infinity in time, more than likely. Wheat and Swiss franc will end up making about the same amount of money yeah. uh, with this with this with the same system. So <clears throat> this week, somebody put out there, um, what happens if you miss the top twenty percent trades in um, in the stock market? You you won't make any money. And so my uh, <clears throat> comeback to that was, well, trend followers don't need to really worry about that because all of our trades make the same amount of money, at least we have to expect that to, to be the case. So our main concern would be to just have a diverse portfolio to smooth out the ride. And I went on to say that, you know, a lot of the limitations and quote unquote rules that, uh, that are other markets and strategies are subject to, trend following is not subject to those. So it's kind of interesting and fun and a huge edge when you think about it to be able to say, you know, look, all of my trades are going to make about the same amount of money. So all I need to really concern myself with is just really great proper diversification amongst all the, the world's markets, which is, you know, what we try to do. And once again, it doesn't look that way over the short term. It certainly looks like stocks are incredibly superior. They have better trends. There's everything, everything about them is better. 
Uh, but uh, the rest of the world segregates the markets, uh, tries to put them in the portfolio based upon a buy and hold only. And uh, it doesn't really work that well. I remember a story that a good friend of mine, a CTA research guy, told me. He said he, to, to prove uh, some of these ideas, he did a back test, a trend following back test on stocks that had gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. that had gone out of business, uh, no longer existed. And the results were that they made about the same amount of money as stocks that, you know, the top stocks that were still in existence today. Mm. So trend following rehabilitates all sorts of bad markets, bad ideas, uh, and p- allows you to put them in your portfolio, different c- kinds of markets, longs and shorts, in a safe, efficient way. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. I was actually looking this week, uh, looking just back, you know, I think 10, 15 years or so in on, on our side as to which, you know, performance across sectors. Uh, and obviously, starting out, we're looking at performance uh, on, on individual markets and the attribution of that. And really, over the very long term, <clears throat> well, in this case, 12 to 15 years, you know, all sectors, if you adjust for the number of markets you need sector pretty much makes the same amount of money which goes to your point that you know we and we truly believe like you that um, all markets have the same ability to trend and the same ability to make the same amount of money over a very long period of time so completely agree with that but I think what's interesting about it because it comes to this thing about being a little bit too clever I think Tony Robbins used talks a lot about uh, when he talks about investing in equity markets, he talks something about that if you miss the 10 best trading days or performance days of the S&P in the last 20 years, your uh, average return drops from, say, 8% down to 5 It has a massive impact if you were just out of the market those 10 days. And clearly, there's the same truth to that with trend following, that if you take away the best, say, 10 months over the last 10 years or 20 years, it will have a massive impact on performance of that uh, system. But it's completely true what you say that over the very long run, each there's no reason why soybean shouldn't make the same amount of money as, as Swiss francs. So that's just the way um, the math works, so to speak. Yeah, I agree very with everything you say there. But one thing I'd like to add is it you know it again shows how important it is to follow those trades. Um, there's a a trader on Twitter I really like him, Peter Brand. He's a technical trader, puts a lot mm-hmm. of great wisdom out there. And and this past week, he said, you know, if you miss a trade, you miss a trade. Don't chase that trade. And I'm sure he's right with that. Um, don't chase that trade. There's always another trade around the corner, right? Tomorrow's a new day. The markets have always something to offer you. But, you know, back to that, if you missed the 20 best S&P days, how, you know, the, the impact would be so large. I would also say that, you know, don't miss a trade in a trend following system because that one trade could be the trade that makes you a year, right? So yeah. here it's kind of like, you know, I disagree with what he's saying in the sense that, you know, don't worry about missing a trade. I'd say, well, I'd be very worried about that. Just do yeah. every trade. Sure. And well, I mean, net gas is a great example, right? Exactly. And then you don't miss yeah. the good ones either. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I agree with that yeah. totally. That's a ni- ni- tur- original turtle rule, 1983. Whatever you do, <laughs> don't miss a trade. Uh, yeah. We used to, uh, back in those days, uh, the, the term filter w- was a really bad word because filter could filter you out of a big trend. Uh, yes. And I would say that it's a little bit different too. And since I would be very careful, uh, it's not missing the the best 10 best months of trend following. It's, it's missing the 10 best trades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is just the key not to have this type two era. Uh, the type one, which is taking a trade that doesn't work, w- we have to stop loss. We're immune. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll lose a little bit more. Uh, type two, there is no, there's nothing. Not doing something you should have done. <clears throat> In these outlier trades, 40, 35% winning uh, trades and uh, 10% of your trades make all the money. These sort of uh, stats, um, you know, they, they're devastating if you uh, – miss a trade now maybe if you're short term and you know it maybe a couple days lower and then you're going to get right back in at the highs whatever but oh yeah there's nothing worse than uh watching um uh, you know a trade go and you know conversely um 
you think you're really smart. You got these great systems. You're tweaking all the time and you get short crewed at 90 and it goes to 20. And you're like, oh, okay. So I, I see who the boss here is. I see what's really generating profits. It's just hanging on to these trades and not doing something dumb and getting out. And, and it's, you know, that's what's going to take us home and make us successful uh, is how we handle these big trades. And that's kind of a little picky thing too when I know that uh, how important exits are. But in the grand scheme of things, the entry, there's nothing more important because you got to get in. I mean, eventually you've got to get in. And if you yeah. don't get in, it is will be your worst mistake. Way yeah. bigger than uh, where you ended up exiting the trade, uh, short term, long term, medium term. That's random on any one trade anyways. But uh, yeah, nothing more important than doing every single trade. The um, <clears throat> the outlier, the fat tails just dominate performance. And that's you know, and 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 if if we turn that to the investors' uh, side of things, I mean, that's obviously why uh, all of us will preach to them that you you need to have this as a core allocation in your portfolio, and you need to stick with it. I mean, don't try and time it, don't try and be too clever, don't try and you know look at our positions and say, oh, I don't like that, or I really like that. I mean, just you know, find the managers that fits the profile you're looking for that adds diversification to the portfolio get a few of them don't bet all your horses on one and uh, all your money on one horse and then you know stick with it for the long term definitely i think there's a buffett quote out there that's something like uh if you take away my 20 best decisions in my entire life i didn't make any money so i think this non-normal uh, fat tail distribution it's pervasive in all of life um, yeah just need to figure out a way to keep the losses and the, the left side from getting out of control. <laughs> very true. Very true. Other tweets that, uh, otherwise I have one that, uh, that's about it for me. I okay. got off well, uh, and started talking about basketball, but that's <laughs> not appropriate on this. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. you never know. We can always turn it into, uh, well, maybe we'll talk about basketball. Um, but anyways, we, um, I got a, a someone, uh, Dave sent us uh, an email or sent me an email this week, um, with a, a tweet, uh, a quote. It was something related to, I think an article where, uh, a TEDx producer, um, or TEDx work, uh, you know, trying to do, uh, a topic of, presentations you know how can you distill your message down to 15 words and uh, there was a tweet out there that uh, did exactly that and and this particular person and i'll reveal who it is in a second uh, tweeted the following uncorrelated diversified long short fx fixed income stocks and commodities low cost systematic long-term trend following and of course it was you jerry if you remember, that I tweet. do, and I didn't quite make it under fifteen. I think it was sixteen <laughs> or seventeen. <laughs> yes, it does. It does end up with saying almost. Yes, so, almost. Uh, yeah. I think it's very yeah. important to be able to break it down like that. Uh, manage futures, quote unquote, just doesn't make it for me. Um, <clears throat> maybe you could add a few more, take out the low cost, whatever. But it's very, very important to be able to. And then walk away. And it's perfectly yeah. fine. Once again, I, I'm more in the camp of, I was perfectly clear. They don't need more education. There is no more to say. Yeah. As a 25-year-old, when I read pretty much those same words, I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. And rather than, <clears throat> I think this is, uh, you know, there's just a rare group of people. What we do, what we do is difficult. It's rare. It's hard. It's somewhat counterintuitive. And we, we're happy with that. So we don't get everyone on the planet agree, agreeing to invest with us. No surprise. Um, we'll find the few who are willing to hang in there. Because once again, they've got to hang in there as well and be confident uh, and, and get it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, good. Well, we've got a few questions uh, in, and uh, maybe I'm sure you've got something to to add as well. Maybe some some topics. But um, Brian, who I mentioned before, has sent in a question. I I I want to distill it down uh, a little bit. Um, but essentially, Brian has a trend following methodology, and he's read a lot of the literature um, on this, including the book from Alex and and uh, Katie Kaminsky, 
Um, so, so definitely very well versed in, in this space. But he, uh, I think, had picked up a comment uh, maybe from the book or maybe from an interview I did with uh, Alex Grayson and, and wasn't really sure whether what he was doing qualified as, as true trend following. Um, so I think what he's... Uh, what he does uh, is, you know, he says, um, uh, do, 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 uh, he says, my system includes a take profit signals along the way. Entry is always in the direction of the trend, except when entering a new position on a breakout confirmation. And I think it was this part, uh, maybe about the, you know, take profits, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then he just goes on to say, I would appreciate your thoughts on what makes a trend follower a trend follower. And I, you know, I think that's an interesting question. You know, can we kind of are there are there tre- are there true trend followers or, or and maybe not so true trend followers out there? What do you think? Hmm. Tough to say. <laughs> uh, I'm not. But not is there anything hard. in your mind? Uh, is there anything in your mind, Moritz, that disqualifies someone from being a true trend follower? What would you if you <clears> take profits? Would you means- consider? Well, that could be one thing. In, right. in, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's your opinion. Uh, yeah. Personally, I'm not so but sure it's my in, opinion, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so so just uh, just as an example, and maybe that then qualifies me as, as not a 100% pure trend follower, but there okay. is a, um, I mean, I, I think I am, <laughs> but there, there is one feature in my system that uh, takes some risk off. So, you know, if you, you know, think about entering a trade and that trade has an initial risk, right. Um, as a say percentage of your portfolio and, and then you have a market move really, really quickly. So say you enter a long position and that market just runs up, right. And in just a okay. few days makes a lot of money. Um, so you've made a lot of money, but your, your risk has increased because maybe your, uh, your trading stop or your exit stop hasn't moved yet. Right. So you sure. have, um, you have a very high risk on that trade in relation to other trades. And, and then I may peel off some of that risk, uh, to bring it back in line. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, kill the position, the position right. will stay sure. long, but sure. it will change its size. What that is, it's a profit taking yep. in the day. Right. And, and maybe, or you could say it's a risk management a tool follower would just, uh, not touch that position. Which, you know, at the very, very core, that is the way I think, right? But maybe maybe a, a, a hardcore trend follower wouldn't touch that position at all and just uh, let it go. And, and I just, at that point, look at that through a volatility and, and, and risk lens and peel yeah. some of it off. It doesn't have to do anything with ongoing vol control on a daily basis. It's, it's not like that, right? But you could yeah. qualify that and... And subsidize that as a as a profit taking trade. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, I I definitely <clears throat> am more trend following. I, I don't do any counter trend trades. Um, it's partly because I feel like just psychologically I need to be that way, and I've that's my brand uh, as well. It, it thankfully it happens to work. Um, I think I was been thinking about this idea recently, and I was uh, especially when I looked at the short Italian bond trade and I thought, you know what, that doesn't look very trendy. And it went, it crashed and it was hard to get short. Then it rallied crazy. So it wasn't really in a trend any longer. And then it went back down to the lows again. And so then I thought, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm kind of a trend follower, but I think my highest calling is I'm systematic. And when I analyze the markets using back test and s- rules. Um, it, oh yeah, these trends do pop out and, you know, I am following trends a lot. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, th- sometimes the markets don't look like they're in a trend and I'm still long or short. Uh, it, it <clears throat> I think it's interesting that people, uh, come up with ideas like, uh, well, I've never, every time I do a trend trade, uh, it either goes and I and I make money immediately, or it if it doesn't go immediately, then I know it's not going to be a good trade. I mean, it's just so false, you know. <laughs> so many things can happen. You know, natural gas, a prime example. Sure. Yeah. Um, and just overthinking these markets and these patterns, when at the end of the day, 
I think we should just follow the trend, follow the system, entries and exits that have we have decided to use based upon a backtest that produced thousands and thousands of trades. And it's not going to get any better than that. And um, But on the profit-taking thing, I can definitely – I don't think it's a problem to sort of take profits when, you know, markets are highly volatile. I think it's okay to, to probably do that. Um, probably better to sort of do it randomly than have it built into your system. It was a daily dose of taking profit. And uh, I would just say, though, that we've toyed with those ideas over the years about uh, if we have a nice profit, should we take some off? And my research guys would come back and say, yeah, this works well, but I'll tell you what works a little bit better if you just waited to like one day lower, five days lower, uh, just throw a little bit of trend in there and that will make the take profit even better. So mm. it's just kind of funny that you can't outfox the market. Uh, yeah. You're not going to get better than uh, not trying to sell the high and buy the low. You know, if, have yeah. have you ever tested more? It's actually whether it helps. I mean, I know if it, it might help emotionally to to do yes, what no, you it, do, it, and I, it does help. It does help. It does help, and okay. it is okay. it is systematic. Uh, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not sitting here and and, and trying to call that. Uh, it 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 happens very rarely. So ninety eight percent of the time, uh, the original position size sticks, and and really nothing happens, right? But, but in this my is mind, only Morris, in super I'd... fast moving markets that jump up or, or like break down very fast. And this is where um, the risk may then increase and it just peels off some of that. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I, I don't think it, it takes anything away from, from being a trend follower. I, I think it's purely down to, I mean, I, I would label it as, as part of your risk management approach. And we don't always have to, we don't all have to do the same, do it in the same way. I mean, that's part of the beauty of, of, of these things. And uh, as you say, it's systematic. So it's just part of your process. Uh, yeah. And, as, you know, as as I'm, I'm, I'm still in the trade. I'm not, I'm yeah. not closing out the position. So, sure. You know, Absolutely. The largest portion of of that position will will continue to be there. True. Interesting. Interesting. We've got a question from Seth, who started out by saying that he very much enjoys uh, these new series. So we appreciate that, Seth. And the question goes: uh, In regards to rates contracts in the portfolio, what is the best way to achieve diversification? Is it better to include contracts from different countries or across the yield curve? For example, would you rather trade a multiple maturities in the U.S. and Germany, or maybe trade the ten years from the U.S., Germany, France, Japan, Italy, Canada? It seems many CTAs like to trade all of the U.S. and German offerings, but I'm guessing that is likely due to the ample liquidity there. If liquidity isn't such a big issue for an individual investor, is it better to spread the portfolio to different countries? Thanks so much, he says. Who wants to kick that one off? Well, I think if you can, uh, if you have the capital, then uh, spread it across the different durations, spread it across the curve and different geographies. I agree. I think that's a great <clears throat> more diversification in rates and currencies, commodities, everything, uh, stocks, yeah. longs and shorts. Uh, now, unfortunately, you pick the worst sector possible, which is the one that's <laughs> the most correlated. <laughs> yep. So yep. what are you going to do? I don't know. It's it's a conundrum for me. Um, I get mass- yeah, you, you talked about it, right? Yeah. You recently talked about it. Yeah. I get massive diversification from stocks. There's a thousands to choose from. You know, you can find stocks that are not as correlated. Same with the commodities, let's say. <clears throat> but uh, interest rates, they're the worst. Uh, a lot of these rates, at least recently over the past, what, X years, they've co- coordinated policy or whatever. But it is difficult to trade the rates sector as large as some of the other sectors when you go in and measure the correlations of uh, U.S. and then Europe and Asia. They, they it seems to be somewhat the same market most of the time. Uh, then you get Italy. Is Italy an aberration? Uh, or is that going to, one of these days, get right back in line and be more correlated with the rest of Europe? It's, it's really, but I think that's how you attack the problem. Uh, you can't just, you've got to look at the correlation market by market. 
Yeah. And I think that brings up another point that we talked about earlier today, which I think is really important, and that is time horizon. Because prior to the financial crisis, to a large extent, there was a lot more divergence. I mean, okay, we can go even further back and say prior to to the euro, when, you know, obviously the European countries decided to have, you know, centralized monetary policy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so back in the day, there was a lot more divergence and, and, and diversification uh, across those countries. And even Japan, you know, obviously had its own monetary policy completely, which, uh, you know, uh, I'll mention that uh, in a second. But so that's the first thing, different timeframes and, and, and the importance of looking at these things uh, over the very long term, because clearly there is a little bit of a breakup over here in, in, in Europe. And so you could see that not just Italy starts to having slightly different moves in the fixed income uh, market, but then comes Japan. And I think a lot of people have lost a lot of money trying to go short Japan uh, on the interest rate markets uh, over the last 20, 25 years. But one day, I'm sure that that short trade is going to work out incredibly well. And so the question is, again, just because it hasn't worked for 10 years, do you just ex or 20 years, do you, do you exclude it or do you keep it in the portfolio? And that's, again, where time frame, uh, you know, plays a big, big part in, in that decision making process. Well, I definitely think you keep it in based on diversific diversification. You never kick it out yeah. because of performance, you know, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but I, as I think I said last week, I've lived through multiple times, 84, 90, and maybe another time where heating oil doubled and mm. crude kind of sat there. Uh, 87, silver had a massive up move. Gold kind of sat there. So... And these markets go back to being 85% correlated. So it's really a problem, uh, an issue. On a, you know, for most of the time, it's the same market. And then all of a sudden, it really isn't. Uh, but now, since we've already um, uh, agreed that all the markets make the same amount of money, then there is really no major cost in being conservative, overly conservative, let's say, on the correlations. Okay, I'm not going to make a lot of money if heating oil doubles again, but I'm going to be very conservative and say that's kind of the same market as crude. I'm going to take that in consideration, my portfolio weightings and my risk. Uh, all the markets make the same amount of money. So I think that is where I end up being overly conservative on the correlation and trying to oh. create a portfolio that most of the time, almost all the time, is going to be very, very diversified. Yeah. No, and, and I guess another area you can see this um, play out has, has really been the equities, right? Because for, for many years after the financial crisis, they were highly correlated in, 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 in many ways. But then in the last uh, six months or so after we had the peak in, in, in January, but it may be even, I can't remember now, but maybe even slightly before, Europe started to, to, to get much weaker than the US. Um, and of course, Asia, I mean, some of the, you know, Hong Kong, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, have been really taking a much harder hit uh, this year, um, and then than other countries, uh, and other markets. So, so again, there seems to be coming back a little bit more divergence between uh, in the equity sector, and, and who knows, the same could happen in, in fixed in income, of course, which is actually already the case to some extent, because the US have been in a massive downtrend. If you look at bonds and 10 and, and year notes, while Europe has still been holding up uh, pretty well. So I agree completely with you, uh, Jerry, you know, never, never sacrifice, um, you know, the, the, the benefit of, of uh, diversification and correlation. All right. Anything else? Uh, any other topics? I mean, I, I guess we can mention that uh, what came what, what came across our desks this week was was uh, another paper from from Winton. We, we often quote AQR, but Winton did a paper this year, uh, or this past week a month about uh you know just the 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 importance or the or how important the speed of your trading system can be because obviously a lot of people were expecting ctas uh, and trend followers to protect more when it comes to equities uh, this year but um they certainly dis debate that topic and and how different speeds really can have a very different outcome uh when it comes to to that and and i think they specifically talk about the equity sector so uh so that might be of interest from from for people, and um, 
I also want to mention uh, someone that I respect a lot when it comes to um, putting out, you know, interesting uh, pieces, and that's Tim Price of uh, Price Value Partners, where I saw uh, on a tweet um, a piece that he put out called Fireworks, um, which I think is a little bit of a historic reminder to a lot of people uh, about that some of these events that we think are not going to happen for a million years they actually happen uh, on a much more frequent basis um so um but that might be worth for people to look up as, as well anything else uh that you've seen in the public domain uh well i can comment on i have a quote from the winton trends okay. if you want to go there yeah okay so um, absolutely this is an interesting quote um which is what i thought was the most interesting part um Quote, in our multi-strategy portfolios, sharp ratio maximization is the priority, so our trend-following signals are generally slower. However, in the Winton trend strategy, we are, we are aware that investors are seeking an investment that will perform differently to the rest of the portfolio, particularly long equity allocations. The speed of the trend-following signals is therefore faster and faster still in stock indices. So I think that uh, it's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, I really, you know, everyone has to have their own ideas. I just think that uh, for me, <clears throat> I'm so small, have nothing to lose, uh, so I can have these crazy opinions and, and actually act on them. It's not like a risky thing for me. I would just resist that idea. I'm going to, uh, I'm, tr I'm managing my own money along with my clients. I'm trying to create the best, uh, the perfect portfolio not the perfect portfolio hedge. And I don't care really what other people have in their portfolio or what they want me to give to them. I'm going to use my best judgment on what's best for me and my clients as if they have all of their money in my fund, which is pretty much what I do. And I'm not going to trade faster and faster based upon or slower and slower based upon anyone except the numbers, the back test, the, the math that I see. So I just think that's kind of interesting and funny, uh, a very large firm, very successful and a very small firm like mine, um, I just f feel compelled to sort of draw a, a distinction between uh, how people can look at things a lot differently. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, I mean, uh, definitely with size comes different considerations, different pressures, different expectations from from clients and I guess also in a sense of course it is down to how do you sell how do you sell your product I mean if you want to sell it as something that will do well in in certain environments then of course you need to design it that way and as you say you want to have a system or a model that just do well the, the best it can possibly be and so you design it that way we're the same way as you I think Jerry I mean we don't you know, we don't um, have any anything other than what we believe is the best overall product, and I'm sure it's the same with you, Moritz. But 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 of course, we we live in a in a in a in a world with with many different uh, very well respected peers, and and we're all going to be a little bit different, which which is beautiful because then people can choose what what they want, uh, so to speak. Um, but you know, it's always good to have these uh, pieces out there from from thought leaders and, uh, and, and, and respected firms um, that, that makes a lot of our convers conversation <laughs> much more interesting uh, because we have things that we can comment on. So, um, so, so that's great. Came up uh, um, my side on Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday this week. Um, I caught up over the phone with, uh, with a, a very early investor in a, in a fund that I ran uh, many years ago. Um, and he's a fan of CTAs and, and he likes to allocate to them because of their protective, uh, features during, you know, during equity bear markets, if you will. So we, we right. spoke and he's like, you know, uh, none of that worked in October. And I said, well, there you go. It, it, it didn't work. And he said, not even Winton. <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, Winton has those beta caps. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're good or bad. I, I really don't, I have my own opinion on that. And, but you know, I, I leave that to investors to decide for themselves, but they have those beta caps, um, or exposure caps, if you will, on long equity positions, exactly with the viewpoint of not being too long equities and therefore not losing that much when the markets turn around and giving investors an easier time. Um, uh. But, you know, it, it didn't really apparently matter that much in, in October 
you know whether you're down eight percent or six it's still um it's still a loss you know it's still a loss but i was just going to comment on that because i think mark uh, uh Rysensepsky that uh, we also often uh you know quote and i think we all follow and he he puts out some great stuff as well and uh um, but he was, uh, I think, tweeting uh, this week or last week that basically, you know, actually trend followers has performed some level of of protection, but not the way you would want it, meaning we've really made money while equities have gone down. But actually, you know, a lot of these strategies have gone down somewhat less than equities in October, uh, you know, at least for the indices, I guess. So, um, but, you, you, but you're right. I mean, it is obviously. And it is true. An I interesting. Mean, on, on yeah. that October, um, it was just yesterday. Yesterday evening, I I reviewed some of the the monthly performances, and I was like taken aback and was looking at the Nasdaq, and the monthly performance of the Nasdaq was, I think, down almost nine percent. And I looked at some of the other yeah. equity index markets, and they're like between between seven negative to to negative nine, and yeah. so that that's a large move. Right, so coming back to the fireworks piece, even on a monthly basis, nine percent losses—they uh, they shouldn't happen that often, uh, no. you know. And and it, yeah. you know, I just you know, reflecting back on October, it didn't really feel that way. I thought it was like, oh well, that was a minus five percent S and P month or something like that. But yeah, it, it was much more. Yeah, sometimes I'll see a headline uh, over the past you know years, and it'll say something like, uh, <clears throat> "Hedge funds get killed and." In July, and you look it up, and they're down one point seven. You know, yeah. like really? <laughs> and uh, that's a killer. That's a killer. So, um, it and uh, I think that giving people this perfect portfolio is the direction in the future. And what is this perfect portfolio? And do not and get away from the perfect portfolio hedge, uh, which mm. is a Mike Dever. Uh, headline uh, <laughs> a title of an article he sent out last year, the perfect okay. portfolio hedge, and I wrote back, really? He goes, oh yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. It's the perfect portfolio, and I'm like, yeah, let's let's go with that and improve for the future, and and if that means <clears throat> for legitimate reasons more single stocks, then fine. Um, another way we kind of mess it up is the leverage piece. Uh, I think I talked about this last week where, you know, all we need to do is beat an 8% return and a 50% drawdown and get yep. get more consistent. Maybe that would help not having long periods of underperformance of the, of our, of the S and P, but you know, uh, the leverage can kind of really mess us up where we have this diversification. We have these systems. None of us feel it's appropriate uh, to have a piece of a portfolio be long S&P only all the time. And yet we don't pick up the assets. We're not deemed the perfect portfolio, irrespective of continuing to say that we are a hedge uh, because of multiple reasons, not enough stocks, not enough single stocks, too much leverage, too high a cost. Um, so I think that that's the goal for the future for CTAs, uh, how could we justify not having the majority of the world's assets when it's we have systematic, wonderful systematic trading that we've proven has worked and the most diversification possible uh, at our disposal? We may not use it. We may not use it properly. We may use too much leverage, et cetera. But we, we have in our uh, quiver more than anyone else and yet we ourselves uh, talk about uh, you know a five to ten percent allocation. So it, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And, and and again, and I love the fact that you you make that point often, uh, Jerry. Is that I mean, people forget they don't think about equities being an eight percent return because it's been returning a lot more in the last ten years, and they don't think about equities having fifty percent drawdowns because they haven't seen a drawdown of any that kind of magnitude uh, for the last ten years. So this recency bias we all have, uh, you know, uh, makes people perhaps uh, you know truly see uh, what these strategies uh, you know are in relation they they look at the negatives in recent years on the trend following side and all the positives of the equities um, but they forget that the long-term picture is 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 very different so uh, yeah 
All right. Well, let's uh, start slowly to wrap up uh, this conversation. Let me just go back and talk a little bit about the performance uh, as of Thursday evening. So a couple of days ago, um, it has not been an easy start for, for the indices in, in, in the CTA space. Uh, the beta 50 index as of Thursday was down 1.46 for the month, down 6.29 for the, uh, for the year. SOCGEN CTA down 2.12 for the month, down 8.06 for the year. SOCGEN TREND down 2.9 for the month of November, down 10.03 for the year. And the short-term index down 1.27 for the month and also down 1.27 for the year. And finally, the uh, flat fee bridge alternatives index down 3.25 for the month and down 11.63 for the year. And I'm not so sure Friday was... Uh, a big game changer, um, but we'll see uh, how it develops for the rest of the month. Um, any final thoughts before we um, we wrap up, uh, guys? No, 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 no final thoughts. I thought you were going to say happy trading, Mark. <laughs> happy you trading as always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, let's wrap up this week's conversation. We hope that you've enjoyed it just as much as we enjoy making them for you. And uh, if you do feel you get some value from these conversations, by all means, share them uh, with your friends and colleagues. And uh, of course, we are ever so grateful if you would leave a rating and review on iTunes because it really does help us. So from Jerry, Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.